Um, well, if you've got your Bibles, I want you to head to Matthew. We're going to spend most of our time in Matthew, Matthew chapter 9. And as you're getting there, uh, let me tell you what I did yesterday morning. It's Saturday morning, it's a pretty typical Saturday in the Haas household. We go to the soccer field. Now, many of you spend all day at the soccer field. We're not there quite yet as, our, as a family, but we spend a good portion of the morning at the soccer field because my oldest, Connor, loves to play soccer, and so he plays soccer like any four- and five-year-old team could play. They just kind of chase the ball around the best that they possibly can, but it's a blast. And uh, when I first got into you know, this whole dad soccer mentality, um, I'm trying to keep track of the stats because that's what you do. When you go to a sporting game, you keep track of score and who scored and who added the assist. And I noticed very quickly, they don't keep score when it's three-on-three, no-goalie, five-year-old soccer. Did you? Are you aware of this? They don't whatsoever. And even to the point where I would ask my son, hey, you know, how'd you do? Is it fun? He's like, yeah, yeah. He's like, did you win? And he says, win? I'm like, oh, my goodness, what are they teaching you? <laughs> I said, son, you win and you lose in sports. He says, well, I didn't score a goal. I said, well, it's not always about you scoring, but how'd your team do? He was like, we scored a bunch. I was like, well, that's great. How many? Well, I don't know. And you know this, early on in sports, it's, and I get that, I'm, I'm a huge fan of that, man, make sure that they enjoy the sport, make sure they get to understand the, the, the points, or how the, how the sport actually works, and all the fundamentals with it, but they don't keep score whatsoever, so they go and they do, at the end of the game, they give the high fives, and I always wondered, you know, what are they saying, good job for, good job, don't know if you won or lost, but good job, good job, hey. <laughs> thinking nobody knows who won and who lost, but they did have a great time. And there comes a point where that does change. There comes a point as you go through athletics where you begin to actually take notice of the score and you start to keep score. And there is a winner and a loser. There's a team that did their best and a team that did their best and still lost. But you have teams that now start to have a goal. It's not just have fun and understand the game. It's have fun, understand the game, but win. We need to have more points at the end of the buzzer than the other team. And in our lives, we tend to go through with a lot of the important things, not knowing if we're winning or not. not at the end of the day, we're kind of giving high fives saying, well, did I win or did I lose? I have no idea, but I made it another day. I guess that's a win. And we don't really have a way to, to tangibly wrap our arms around did I win or did I lose? Am I winning or am I losing? Time's not up yet. Where do I stand? Am I even aiming in the right direction? We're really good at keeping score at sports and some things that don't really matter. We're not so great about keeping track of if we're winning or losing and maybe the most important things in our life. Are you winning at home or not? Are you winning with your marriage? Are you winning with your kids? Where do you stand with your coworkers and your boss and your employees and your employers? Are you winning or not? Spiritually speaking, saved or not, that's kind of a, a relatively easy one to at least say yes or no to. There might be some gray area, and I'd love to talk with you more about if you're not sure, then let's talk. Let's be sure. But even beyond that, well, what am I supposed to be doing next? You can't hit the target. You can't hit a goal. If you don't have one, right? And so that's why we'd have this. I need a volunteer that can stand right here for me. Teasing, totally joking right now. Some of you are real quick. Sure, let's see what pastor's gonna do this morning. No, no, no. I do not have any weapons on stage with me. If you do, keep them concealed. I don't need to know about it. But we have a goal, don't we? We have a target and you can tell very quickly if I'm on target or not. If, if you start to see a lot of holes around the outside of the bullseye, am I, am I aiming in the right direction? Yes or no? Aiming in the right direction. Yeah, aiming in the right direction. Am I hitting the bullseye? 
No, absolutely not. You have a tangible way to tell I'm aiming in the right direction. I'm just still missing the mark. Or man, I am aimed in the right direction and I'm hitting the mark. Oh, I maybe missed one here. But for the most part, you actually have a way to tell. That's what's so great about targets. It's good practice because you know how you're doing. What I want us to look at this morning is a target, a bullseye more specifically. I want us to have the Bible help, have the Bible help us paint a crystal, a crystal clear picture of what God is actually calling us to. It gets very muddy in life, doesn't it? There's a lot of things that we focus on. There's a lot of things that we're aiming towards. There's a lot of things we may hope for. But at the end of the day, do we know if we're winning or not? Do we, do we know for sure that, man, I'm, I'm aimed in the right direction. I'm moving in the right direction. I might not do it perfectly. This is not about perfection. It's about knowing if you're even aimed in the right direction. So we want the Bible. We want scripture to give us a, a picture Help us paint a picture of what we should be aiming at, our mission, our goals for our family, for our personal lives, and you can go through all those different relationships. So here's what it is. Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 13. It's when Jesus is early on in his ministry and he's inviting other people to come follow him. We know them as his disciples, and, and he finds them in all different places, in their own world, doing their own profession with their own families, their own lives. He interrupts and says, hey, come follow me. And so we're going to look at one of the stories of, of Jesus calling one of his early disciples, Matthew. Matthew 9, starting in verse 9. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And I want you, if you're taking notes in your Bible or you want to write something down right here. And Matthew got up and followed him. Jesus says, come follow me. And Matthew got up and followed him. Verse 10, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the teachers of the law saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Under other translations would say, with such scum, with the bottom of society in our culture. Verse 12, on hearing this, Jesus said, I love that because Jesus overhears it or is able to at least know what the Pharisees are asking the disciples, but the Pharisees were not talking to Jesus, were they? It says the Pharisees asked his disciples, why is Jesus, why is your teacher eating with such scum? And Jesus doesn't even give the disciples a chance to, to answer, which is probably a good thing at this point. They haven't learned a whole lot yet. And Jesus steps in, Jesus interrupts and says, on hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus paints a target and puts a bullseye right in the middle of it. Here's why I came, not for the healthy, but for the sick. I didn't come to call those who already think they're righteous and perfect and don't need a savior. I came for those who are desperate for a savior. I came for those that need me and that recognize that they need me. Very quickly, we see Jesus noticing, of course, that there's a lot of people that have very different missions, very different goals. They're aiming in very different directions. The Pharisees are aiming in a totally different direction. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Here's what I am about, and here's what I want everybody else to be about. It's not the healthy who need a doctor. It's the sick bullseye. That's what we aim at. He says, I've not come to call the righteous, but those that are sinners bullseye. And he even tells him, he says, go and, desire, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. The Pharisees were really good at sacrificing. They knew the law in and out. They had scripture memorized. They were the elite of the most elite when it comes to knowledge of the Old Testament and how to practice 
practice the religion. And Jesus says, you're aiming in the wrong direction. I desire mercy to be shown mercy for you to grow in mercy. Do you accept my mercy? Not just to be really good at rituals and religiosity. He says, I want you to know mercy, not necessarily sacrifice. So you look at this passage and and Matthew has a, a great choice, doesn't he? He's got a choice where, do I follow Jesus or do I not follow Jesus? And he does what? Does he choose to follow Jesus? Thank you. Yes. Do I need to reread that part? It's, part of, it's the whole message. It's based around this one thing. Yes. He decides to follow Jesus. Now, in following Jesus, and that's a very cliche thing to say. It's, it's a very churchy thing. Let's follow Jesus. And yes, we should. But at the end of the day, how do you know if you are doing that or not? What's the, what's the target? What's the bullseye for truly following Jesus? When you lay your head down tonight, can you say, man, I followed Jesus. I didn't do it perfectly. We're not perfect by any stretch, but did I stumble in the right direction? Am am I aimed in the right direction? How do we actually know what our our, our aimed should be? What is our mission? Because Jesus has had these conversations with other people that also desired to follow Jesus, but weren't aimed in the right direction still. Stay in Matthew, and you don't have to look at this. I'm going to, let me show this to you. If you go to Luke chapter 9, we see something very similar. We see Jesus inviting some other people like he did Matthew, hey, come and follow me. And they have slightly different answers. They're not bad answers, but they're a little bit different from Matthew's and they're not quite on target like Matthew's was. Here's one of them. Luke chapter nine and verse 57 says, as they were walking along the road, very similar to what just happened, we read out of Matthew nine. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, talking about Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. Here's a man that desires to follow Jesus. That seems like he's aimed in the right direction, right? Here's Jesus' response to him, verse 58. Foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He says, you want to follow me? That's great. Let's narrow your aim a little bit more. You understand what you're you're saying yes to. You understand if you're saying yes to me, Jesus is saying, if you're going to follow me, Jesus is saying, then understand that's whenever, that's wherever, that's, that's whatever. I had somebody tell me a while ago, that it's like keeping your yes card on the table all the time. <clears throat> There's not a, well, Jesus, if you're asking me to do this, let me think about it, let me pray about it, let me, let me just, give me a week. Let me, let me get seven days to wrap my mind around this. No, it's a whenever, whatever, wherever, yes. Because what Jesus' response is telling this man is, I want you to follow me, but I also need you to understand what that entails. He says, he says that foxes have, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. In other words, where's God going to lead us next? Right now, we live a pretty certain life. Of course, there's uncertainties. I get all that. But I know where I'm going to go after church today when I go home. Unless something happens to my van with over 200,000 miles, I know I'm going to get home <laughs> for the most part. Slight uncertainty there. I mean, we, we live in a lot of certainty And what Jesus is saying is, it's not about certainty. If you're certain you're going to follow me, then be certain of what I'm actually asking you to do. Whenever, whatever, wherever. What's interesting is we don't know how that man responded to Jesus. (laughs) Jesus, I want to follow you. Okay, but who knows where we're going? Oh, I thought this was just like a show up once a week on a, you know, an early morning kind of a thing. I didn't know I had to actually go all the time goes on. Here's another, another encounter. Verse 59. He said to another man, this is Jesus now placing the invite. He said to another man, follow me. 
But he replied, Lord, first, let me go and bury my father. Seems like a reasonable response. Of course, Jesus, I would love to follow you, but I need to do something first. And, and this sounds like a very reasonable request, doesn't it? Well, I need to go bury my father first. But look at Jesus's response. He says, but first, let me go bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. In other words, no time, no time. What seems like a reasonable request, Jesus comes across in a way that seems kind of harsh. Now, first, let me, let me help you understand this. When he says, I need to go bury my father first, we have no indication that his father has actually passed away and he's just going to the funeral. That's the way we would interpret that. Well, my, my dad's died. I need to at least go and, and have, have the funeral. Then I can go. But we have no indication that that has happened. In fact, culturally speaking, it was the kids, it was the children's duty to take care of their parents until their death. And so what probably was happening in this instance was this man says, I would love to follow you, but I still have my parents at home and I can't just leave them. I've got to watch over them until they die, of course, but I need to at least be there with them. I'm responsible for them. And the other part of that would have been when the inheritance gets divvied out, if you're not there, you don't get it. So here's this man saying, I would love to follow you, Jesus, but I still have some responsibilities and my inheritance is coming. I mean, he's probably close to the end, but he's not there yet. So I need to be around until the end to make sure I'm doing my responsibility. I'm fulfilling my responsibility as a son, but also I need to get my inheritance. But after that, Jesus, I'm good to go. And again, it's, well, I might be aiming sort of in the right direction. I want to follow Jesus, but Jesus is saying, no waiting. Like, it's right now. No, let the dead bury their dead. You go and proclaim the kingdom of God. That's, that's the bullseye. That's what he's saying we have to focus on is right now, are we willing to follow him? We're really good at procrastinating, just culturally speaking, especially even when it comes to our spirituality. We're spiritual procrastinators. I'd love to follow you, just not yet. <laughs> I've got some other things. And those are good things. Taking care of family is a good thing. I'm not telling you to walk away from your family, but when push comes to shove, if Jesus says, follow me now, do we? Would we? Or do we say, I want to, but not yet. Even in our settings, we, we say it, but with different language. Jesus, I hear what you're asking me to do. I hear what you're calling me to do, to follow you, to live for you. But man, I, I just got some things going on right now. Hey, once life slows down, then I can really jump into our relationship, Jesus. You know, once I settle down, let, let me get married first, let me have some kids first, and then you have the other side. Once the kids are out of the house, then I'll be able to. You know, there's, there's never a, a good time for us, is there? Let me graduate first. Well, let me get through school first. Once I get a job that, that kind of gets me settled, then I can. I need to make a little bit more money first, and then I'll be able to. It's a really crazy season right now, the first of the year, that'll be my resolution. We make wonderful excuses based on the current responsibilities we have. And Jesus is saying, no, go and proclaim the kingdom. If you're going to follow me, it means right now. It means right now. Are we aiming in the right direction? Are we hitting the bullseye or are we off? Third individual that Jesus encounters here. Verse 61, still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Now that seems extremely reasonable. Jesus, I want to follow you. I don't need to wait for my parents to pass away. I, I just want to go and say bye and then I'll be right here. So don't move. Give me five minutes. I'll be right back is what he's saying. And here's Jesus' response. What seems reasonable, Jesus once again has a 
maybe what we would deem a harsh response. Verse 62, Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. How's that for a bullseye to hit? That's convicting. That seems unobtainable even. Jesus, all I'm asking is to say bye to my family. But let's dig into that just a little bit. Understand that when, when in Jesus' day, when people would follow him, they were turning their backs on not just family, but religion and society. They were saying, I'm leaving all of this to follow Jesus. And so for this person to say, hey, let me go back and say bye to my family, I would feel like it's a, I need to go and explain some things to them. Let me go and, and make sure that that relationship is still okay. And, and let me talk with them. Let me get them understanding. And then I'll come. What we don't want to do is we don't want to follow Jesus at the expense of other relationships. That's the root of it. Jesus, I'll follow you, but I need to make sure that the rest of my relationships are all okay. Jesus is saying, no, don't worry about them. Worry about me. That's what you're aiming at. Only me, he says. We get afraid of what following Jesus might do to our relationships. We become anxious about what following Jesus might do in our career. We get nervous about what following Jesus might, might do in our home. Might upset some people. They might not understand. They might not get it. It's not our job to make them understand. It's our job to do exactly what Jesus is saying. Follow me. Follow me. That paints a very clear bullseye, doesn't it? And man, that's a, that's a, a small, small target to hit. Like I said, we're not going to do this perfectly. This is not a, when we don't do it right, we're... we're we're stuck in a rut of guilt. No, it's, that's where grace comes into play. But notice how Matthew was so different. Matthew was so different. If you go back to his account, it says that Jesus came up to him, said, follow me. And what did I have you underline or write down? Matthew got up and followed him. Matthew got up and followed him. There was no, I mean, he's at his tax collector's booth. He's in the middle of his job. And what he doesn't do is, well, let me finish my shift, and then I'll meet you. Where, where should I meet you to go follow you, Jesus? There's no finishing the shift. It was not a, well, I need to, like, secure this money. I mean, could you imagine? He just walked away from his tax collector's booth. <laughs> Everybody else probably loved that. They just started diving in. Money, give me my taxes back. <laughs> the IRS has left. Let's jump in. And he leaves, and he doesn't even say a word. He doesn't ask for clarification. He doesn't ask for where their destination is going. He doesn't ask anything. All he does is gets up and goes with him. That's it. That's it. And on the surface, it seems like that's just obvious and that's understandable and that's what we would do. But when you dig into it, that's a small target to hit because we tend to be like the other ones that we read about in Luke 9. Well, Jesus, I have this going on first. Jesus, I need to do this first. Not yet, but soon. Ask me in a week. Ask me next season. Ask me next year and I'll be ready to. Matthew didn't say a thing. He didn't explain a thing. He didn't ask a question. He got up and followed Jesus. He left what he needed to leave in order to follow who he needed to follow. For Matthew, that was leaving a career. He left his tax collectors. with. Now, it wasn't just leaving that. Understand, as I'm sure you would know, tax collectors, especially in this society and this culture, did not have a great reputation. Tax collectors in this area were Jews working for the Romans. So the Jews didn't like him, but the Romans didn't like him either. So he walked away, and now he has made both of those people that don't like him even more mad. And so now all he has is Jesus, Jesus' followers, and some of his other friends, if you could call them friends. 
So he left what he needed to leave to follow who he needed to follow, but catch this, he didn't leave everything. Look at what he does next. He doesn't leave everything because it says after he got up and followed him, it says, verse 10, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. Now, we don't know how that dinner happened. If that was Matthew had a big celebration, which was most likely what had happened and invited friends over, the few friends that he had left, Jesus was part of it. Jesus didn't say like he did to Zacchaeus, hey, we need to go and have dinner tonight. No, this is probably from Matthew saying, I'm following you and by the way, I don't have anybody else, so you want to come over? <laughs> what I love about that part is we're quick to identify things that we need to leave behind sometimes. Sometimes that's rather clear. When we are aiming at following Jesus, we know what we need to leave behind most of the time, generally speaking. But what I love is that Matthew didn't leave behind his prior relationships. He invited Jesus into them. Well, that's a big deal. He followed Jesus, but he also brought Jesus into all parts of his life, his former relationships, his friends, these tax collectors and disreputable sinners, the scum that he had associated with. He didn't say, oh, I'm really sorry. I'm kind of following Jesus now. Can't talk to you. He says, I'm following Jesus now. You need to talk to him. You see the difference there? That's what he did. He followed Jesus and he brought and invited and shared Jesus in all aspects of his life. What we tend to do is we're aiming at a target and we say, okay, Jesus, I'm gonna follow you. And then we start to box that in and that looks like Sunday morning church or that looks like midweek groups or that's uh, we're gonna pray around the dinner table and all those things are great, but that's not everything. Jesus says, follow me with all of you, all of your life, your heart, your soul, your, your mind, everything. That's the bullseye to hit. And that's what we see Matthew do here. He gets up and follows Jesus, and then he brings Jesus into all parts of his life. And that's where the Pharisees had a problem. If you go back and look at it, that's where the Pharisees began to struggle. They said, why, are your, why is your teacher, why is Jesus eating with these people? And there, right there alone, we're starting to see the target and the bullseye that Jesus is setting up for us and is painting for us. And you can tell that the Pharisees have a very different target that they're hitting. Jesus' target for us is, is aiming at those who need him, those that others won't give a chance to or even a second chance to. And the Pharisees have a target that's on the other end of it that says, well, you have to be perfect. Aim at perfection. Don't be around people that aren't close to perfect. Don't do anything that would hurt your reputation. Do you, do you see the different targets here that are being painted? And the Pharisees, when they see what Jesus is doing and what Matthew is doing because of following Jesus, they cannot understand. You should be aiming over here, not over here. And that's where we looked at it earlier, where Jesus cuts them off. It says, on hearing this, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And there he makes it crystal clear. Here's what we're aiming at. He says, it's me. Follow me and don't worry about anything else. And no, you're not gonna do it perfectly, but follow me. And I know, I mean, this is, I have 25 minutes to walk you through Jesus's mission for himself, but also our lives. So I know there's a lot of other things that fall under that, but at the core of it, nowhere in here, I mean, this is, this is only a few verses of Matthew deciding to follow Jesus. We don't hear about his church attendance. We don't hear about his quiet time. We don't hear about everything that he changed in his life other than he walked away from his tax collector's booth. He got up and he followed Jesus. That's all we hear. And oftentimes we make it too complicated. Follow Jesus. 
What do we need to leave so that we can follow him? What do we need to invite Jesus into that we have not allowed him into yet? I would start asking those two questions. And that's going to give you a really good idea of where your bullseye is. Am I following Jesus or am I just showing up to certain things that Jesus might be at? Am I following Jesus and am I inviting Jesus into every part of my life? So bullseye number one, follow Jesus. And if you're not following Jesus, that's when we do exactly what Matthew did. And we go. It's not this big, long prayer. It's not holding your hand up in church. It's, it's saying, with my heart and my mind and my tongue, I'm following you, Jesus. And I don't have all the answers, and we'll just kind of figure it out as we go. Thank God truly for grace. Follow Jesus. There's another target that we don't see Jesus say word for word, but you see it through the rest of the Gospels and the entire New Testament. And we see it in Matthew's story where after he follows Jesus, he surrounds himself with other people including Jesus. He does not walk with Jesus alone. He does not follow Jesus into isolation. Sometimes we feel like the Christian life is getting away from the world. No, we jump both feet into it, but with Jesus with us. And we surround ourselves with other people in a lot of different environments. Throughout scripture, you can see these known as the one another's. And there's over a hundred one another scriptures throughout the New Testament, gospels included, all the way through the New Testament, where you know a lot of these love one another, forgive one another, bear with, with one another, give grace to one another, encourage one another and build each other up. You go on and on. There's all these one another's. And there's a one another that's super important. I want you to see real quick here in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 through 25. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. That's following Jesus. We trust in Jesus and we're following him. Here's what we do with that, verse 24. And let us, and, and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. One another is vital as we follow Jesus. We have to have that target on there as well. Follow Jesus, but also do that with one another. That's why we do church. That's why Jesus set up church. Follow me, but do it with one another. Church is important. Now, one of the ways that we help you find a church is we do something called newcomers around here. And because of the construction of the building, we had to push our newcomers back because it was a little bit of a hazardous area uh, last week with all the um, construction you just saw pictures of. So here's what I decided to do. In about one minute, I'm going to tell you everything you need to know about our church. Sound good? We'll just fast track. If you've never been to a newcomers, you're going to get a, a one minute version instead of the hour and a half version right here. You need to know that our church, our, our mission, why we do what we do, the target, the bullseye that we're aiming for is exactly what we read out of Matthew. And it's exactly why that our mission is to lead people to fully follow Jesus. That's it. Everything that we do is so that people would be able to be in an environment where they can grow as a follower of Jesus. If that's not our mission, we're just a really, we're, we're a nice group of people and maybe a good nonprofit that helps the community. Our mission as a church is to lead people to fully follow Jesus. That's the why. The, the what, the what are we trying to do every week? That's the vision. That's what we're seeing happen. It's what we would desire to see happen. And you hear this in our language all the time about more life change. To create a church, to create a place or a space where life change stories are written every single week. I believe that when you come in contact with Jesus and the word of God, you cannot help but be changed. Every single week, over and over again. We're made new time and time again. So that's what we do. And how we do that, that's what we would call values. 
The values are the things that kind of shape us and mold us. It's, it's kind of our DNA. It's the personality of the church. You could go to a hundred great churches, but they're all gonna be a little bit different because values are a little bit different. Not right or wrong, just different. So here's all of ours. I'll lay them out for you. One, you heard me say it earlier. We're a church for our community. Three types of churches you could be. One in the community, you just reside in a location. One that's a problem for the community. I hope we're not that. And one that's for our community. We will always be a church that's for our community. We like to smile, but we always prefer to laugh. So if you're somebody that shows up to church and you discourage laughing, you're not gonna last very long here. We take ourselves not very seriously. We take the word of God very seriously, but our lives, man, it's, it's too short and it's too stressful to take seriously. So we laugh a lot, we joke a lot, we play around a lot, and it's, it's a good time. We love authenticity. We love authenticity. Oh, I'm sorry, I missed one. We treat everyone like family. Everyone is the key word there. We treat everyone like family. This is not a closed group where you have to look a certain way, dress a certain way, talk a certain way, and believe a certain way to, to be treated like family. We will treat every single person like family, always and every single time. And as I said, we love authenticity. What you see is what you get. I'm not gonna be somebody that stands on stage and I'm not gonna ever want somebody to take a, a place on this platform or in any of these seats that just smiles because they're supposed to. <laughs> We're gonna be real with one another and we love authenticity. So if, if you would rather fake it till you make it, not a good spot for you today. <laughs> We're gonna be real and we're gonna be authentic, authentic and guess what, it's very messy it's very messy, but grace is so great in the middle of genuine, being genuine. So we love authenticity. Um, I talked about the like to smile, prefer to laugh. And then lastly, this is what it looks like for us to all do this together, is to serve, give, and share so that we see more life change. It takes all of us to do that. We serve, we give, and we share Jesus to see more life change. That's our church family. And the reason I say family and not membership is because if you're a member of something, you get perks. If you're a member of Netflix, you pay $9.99 a month and you can get online viewing of Netflix. If you are a member of Costco, you pay a membership fee and you get a cool little card and you get to go shop at all these discount prices. Uh, you don't get like a member card for Mountain Lake Church where if you tithe, I give you perks. That doesn't happen ever, <laughs> just so we're clear. Uh, that, that phrase is not a bad phrase, but it kind of just in our culture, it's changed. So we say, if you want to be part of the family, that's what we are, then be part of the family. And, and all we would ask you to do is, is be unified as a church and let's do this together. We say protect the unity and share the responsibility. So I've given you, I took a little bit more in a minute, I apologize. But here's what I want you to do with that. Is if you've not gotten to that point yet where you have quote unquote signed on the dotted line, and it's not like I'm gonna hold this to you. This is for you. This is for you to say, am I all in? Am I following Jesus and am I doing one another? Am I following Jesus and am I doing life with one another? At some point, you gotta go from showing up to church to being part of church. At some point, you gotta go from, well, I attend church to know I am part of the church family. And like I said, there's no special prayer that we say over you to make that happen. It's you saying, I'm in. And you can do that. And like I said, normally do it for newcomers, but I wanna give you an opportunity to do it now. In your worship guide, you got this. This is the join the Mountain Lake family card. So it's super official once you fill this out. But that's between you and God. It's for you to say, hey, I'm, I'm all in. This is what I want. Maybe you've done this before. We're moving into a new season of our church life. As we move into a building, we begin to impact our community on a greater scale. Are you still all in? Are you ready to do what it takes as we follow Jesus and lead people to fully follow Jesus? But we also create a place, create a church where life change stories are written every single week. And that's who we are. If that doesn't sound like fun to you, let me help you find a church that is. Man, we're a fan of all churches as long as they're Jesus preaching and Bible believing. I'm great with it. 
We're not the end all. We are one of many that are working in God's kingdom. And I believe in the local churches, not just us, but all of our local churches. So if that's not it, man, let me help you find a place where you can join that church family. But I want to give you a moment, and I'm going to pray, and we're going to sing one more song together as a church family. But if you haven't done so, make this, make this it. There's no reason to wait. Well, let me, get, let me think through this, Brian. Don't think through it. You know or you don't, right? Where are you going to go to lunch today? Well, you probably know. If not, come on, get on top of things. You don't need a week to figure out what you're going to do next. If you want to be part of what God's doing here at Mountain Lake Church, creating a place where life change stories are written every single week as we lead other people to fully follow Jesus, then let's go. Don't give me the, well, I need to pray about it. I need to talk to other people about it. Are you in or are you out? Now, if you're not there yet, I'll give you a grace. You can keep coming because we'll treat you like family still. But I want to get you in a place where you're saying, I'm in. The bullseyes are painted. Jesus says, follow me. And then through the rest of the New Testament, he shows us how to do that with one another through the local churches. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you so much for the clarity that you can give us oftentimes. And we know that we don't do it perfectly, and we know we make it oftentimes more complicated than it maybe should be or needs to be. But God, may this be a moment in our church life and in our individual lives where we said, no, we're ready. And I don't have to have all the answers, and I don't have to know all the details. All I know is it's time to do it. So God, if you would just place on our hearts those next steps, help us to make sure we're aiming in the right direction and we're hitting that target. That if we haven't followed you, that that is the very first step, that we would give our lives to you. Say, Jesus, I'm, I'm following you. I'm a sinner. I most certainly need you to heal me, to be my savior. And then we stumble in the right direction together as we walk through that. God, may you continue to, to put on our hearts the one another piece, that we would not walk through this Christian life alone, but we would do it together and we would stumble together and we would fall together, but we would rejoice together and we would celebrate together and we would see you do incredible things in people's lives together. May we never feel alone. You did not intend for us to follow you in isolation, but to follow you with one another. So may we get that this morning. May your word penetrate our hearts and our minds and our souls as we follow you for what's next. In Jesus' name, amen.